Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to another episode of the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. Chill ride, chill vibe. Today's Monday and we're recording. A little dreary out. Makes perfect sense that I'm going to invite this person on because I am going to have to go across the pond for this one. All the way from England, United Kingdom, Associate Editor of Liberty Ballers, Mr. Tom West is on the pod today talking about Doc Rivers, Blake Griffin, and uh, Ben Simmons, and all the fine connections to be made with those three with the piece that he wrote last week entitled How Doc Rivers Can Use His Blake Griffin Tactics with Ben Simmons and the Sixers. Tom, how you doing? I'm doing good, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. So, like, like I said, this is the first time I've had to go across the pond for a podcast, and I was actually re- I'm actually really looking forward to this. Yeah, I've been looking forward to come on. Yeah, I guess I'm the, yeah, the first uh, British guest. So, yeah, I'll do my best. <laughs> first British guest on the podcast. So, yeah, you have supplanted yourself. Like, you're famous. <laughs> I'm happy to. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's, let's dive right in. And I'll just, I'll just start with this. So, Doc Rivers, in his introductory press conference, and you pointed this out in your column, he said that he's not overly concerned with Simmons' shooting or what position he's labeled as, which is something that gets dissected and talked about every second of every day, pretty much with this and with Ben Simmons. So when you heard that and the comments following that, what was your initial thought that went through your head? I mean, I think the initial thought was just, he's clearly, I mean, he's clearly very excited to coach Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And he kept mentioning that they've won 65% of their games when they've played together. And he mentioned that he must have said that about five times through the press conference. So his emphasis is clearly that the Sixers work well when they're both on the floor together and he'll make it work. And he's looking forward to, you know, giving it a shot. Um, it's interesting with him sort of dodging the question of, you know, Ben Simmons' position. You know, I think the sort of question was getting at, you know, is he going to play like a power forward like he did in the bubble? Or is he going to be, you know more of a the sort of prototypical point guard role he was playing, you know, beforehand. I think, you know, we can't know too much what he's going to do yet. He didn't want to, you know, obviously give too much away about his thoughts. You know, he didn't mention his starting lineup or anything like that. So it's kind of unclear. But I think I think he's basically looking forward to experimenting and he's not trying to peg Simmons as one thing specifically. So it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. But yeah, there's not too much to gauge from what he said so far. And he also said, uh, quote, we just have to figure out how to make it work the best. And you pointed out the Sixers won 62% of their games with both Simmons and Embiid on the floor together. So I'm going to reiterate something on the, I said on the podcast last week. Stop trying to break up our duo. Just stop it. It works. <laughs> Leave them alone. Um, 
when you dissect the roster a little bit more, there's another familiar piece here. Like Tobias Harris had some of his better years as a Clipper. Yeah, he. I mean, he, yeah, he was at his best when he was with the Clippers and under Doc Rivers. And I think, you know, maybe there's some outlier shooting in that. Maybe, you know, maybe he was particularly hot from three, but there were definitely some factors that played into that. Obviously, he got more touches. That's one thing. But, you know, Doc, you know, put him in more pick and rolls. He gave him more high screens to work with. Um, you know, a fair chunk more than he's had with the Sixers so far. And that does play to Harris' strengths. Obviously, you know, he's not a particularly good passer. He's not a great ball handler, but he can work well in those sort of high pick and roll settings when he, you know, can make simple passing reads or he can pull up off the dribble from three. That's something that he needs to do more of. Maybe Doc, you know, putting him in more of those actions when he joins the Sixers can help. Harris look a little more like his clipper self, um, maybe be a little bit more prolific from three. I think that would definitely be the aim. And, you know, during his press conference, Doc did say, uh, you know, he had a lot of good stuff to say about Harris and he did specifically mention, you know, how, how well he can work with pick and rolls and high screens. So I think maybe seeing a bit more of that is something we can probably expect. When Doc had Blake Griffin, and you pointed this out, Griffin was one of the most explosive finishers in the NBA and the, probably one of the best that I've, I've ever seen. The, the term being Mozgov is because of Blake Griffin. <laughs> so, yes, Simmons may not be as explosive as Blake Griffin, but he's still a decent enough finisher to where Doc can kind of do similar things with Simmons slashing and cutting, doing those kinds of things. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, he's still really athletic. I mean, Griffin's on another level, isn't he? Like, Moscow Dunks, Kendrick Perkins, Pau Gasol. Like, there's so many uh, crazy plays. But, yeah, Simmons is still really athletic. And he was leaning into that a bit more, I think, this season, wasn't he? Like, he was more aggressive. He was a bit more physical, embracing contact, which is something he's always had an issue with. Um, and it's still something he can keep working on, but he did get more aggressive. He had a couple of poster dunks, which is something like, it's quite rare for him. You wouldn't think it would be, but um, he did have a few of those this season and he was better, you know, going through contact and getting to the rim. So I definitely think he can be used as that kind of pick and roll scorer. You know, maybe not, obviously not quite as well as Griffin, but he can still be used there. And then obviously the short roll passing, I think is what's really interesting. One of the, one of the best, one of my favorite uh, poster dunks, I don't think it happened that, I don't think it happened this past season. might've been last season, but it was the Milwaukee game after Giannis called him uh, an effing baby, and then he just came back and just thunder dunked him on on the other end. That's probably one of my favorites. And I just want Ben to embrace that uh, th- that emoji that he uses so often. Like, dude, get angry, get angry yeah. when you go to the rim. Jesus. <laughs> With the difference between Blake and Ben Simmons, it's always going to be about the shooting, like every single time. Like any time that kind of parallel gets brought up with Doc Rivers as the head coach. And I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up. When Blake was kind of in his prime, as far as like his time with the Clippers goes, so this is 2013 to 17. So in these four seasons, let me phrase this the right way. From 16 feet to the three-point line, not three-point shooting. This is the mid-range. So from 2013 to 2017, 27% of his shots came from that distance, followed by 38, followed by 46, and then rounded out about 28. But then the percentages weren't that – they weren't great, but, I mean, you're shooting from that distance anyway, so you're looking at 37, 40, 38, and 44. Are we expecting Doc Rivers to do anything like that 
anytime soon. I would, I would assume no, right? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously everyone wants to see Simmons shoot more, but I, I think, yeah, we've really got to see it to believe it. I'm not going to expect anything until we see a bunch of games where he's actually taken those shots. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just sort of, you know, thought about it again when going back through the film. Like, I mean, Blake Griffin's development is really one of the more impressive development arcs, I think, in recent history. Like, It definitely is. His, him, and, yeah. him and Kawhi Leonard, I would say. Yeah, yeah, Kawhi's another good one. Like, the amount of skill that Blake's added, like, he's gone from being a non-shooter and a bad free-throw shooter to being, like, a capable pull-up three-point shooter on, like, fairly high volume at this point in his career is insane, and obviously with the passing as well. Um, he's grown so much. I, You know, obviously it would be good if if Simmons could add that range. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. But I think a lot of the pick-and-roll play that, you know, Doc used with Griffin was before he was really a threat. And, you know, you mentioned the shooting numbers. He wasn't overly efficient, even though he was happy shooting from mid-range, you know, as his career went on. But he wasn't taking any threes really until sort of later on with the Clippers. I think he only took more than one per game in his last full season with the Clippers. So it's not like he was, you know, really stretching the floor. So Doc can still use a lot of his Blake plays with Simmons Obviously, he can get a bit more creative if Simmons will actually shoot, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. I know everyone's hanging on for that, but yeah, we'll wait and see. And we always talk about the shooting and then ignore the simple fact that Simmons is an elite passer. And I think that's where we're going to start with the, real, with, with the real meat and potatoes here. Like, you talk about the short roll passing. Simmons is one of a handful of guys that make passes where you're just thinking to yourself, how the heck did he even see that guy over there or who even attempts to make that pass? So something like that is an element that Doc didn't have with Blake Griffin because as good as Blake Griffin is as kind of like a passer, Simmons is just, he's just on a whole nother level. Specifically with the short roll passing, how do you see something like that working out with Simmons and Doc Rivers as this gets underway next season? I mean, I think it can work well, but I think, and I mentioned this in the piece, it all comes down to who the Sixers can add in the off-season because their lack of pick-and-roll ball handling is is a big problem. Um, obviously, Shake came along really well um, in that role, and like I said, you know, Tobias Harris can handle a bit more, but they still need perimeter creators so badly, like we saw it in the playoffs when Simmons was out. The, like the the lack of help around Embiid was like ugly to watch. Um, it, it's funny. Who knew that you actually need ball handlers and pick and roll perimeter people to actually make <laughs> professional basketball work? It actually helps if you can dribble. Like it's mad. It helps if you can dribble. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I th- I think it can work well. You know, with with Simmons' short roll passing, like Blake was often used to just set up weak side shooters, um, and. He did, he did it well, and like you said, Simmons is a better passer, and he can do that. It's just how much the Sixers can maximise things. Like, can they add another reliable pick-and-roll ball handler? You know, because they need pull-up threats to really, you know, bring the extra defender outside, you know, when, the, when Simmons screens to give him more space to roll inside and then pick apart the defence on, like, a three and um, on a sort of advantageous situation. And they need the good shooters to be a threat because otherwise, you know, he's just going to be driving into a cramped lane. It'd be um, nice to, it'd be nice to have more shooters than just Furkan Korkmaz. That would be nice. 
Yeah. <laughs> Furcon yeah, and Shake isn't going to get and it Shake, done. and that's about it. <laughs> like, you're not going to do you're not going to do much in this league if you only have two proven-ish shooters. Yeah, it's just oh yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> there's nothing left to say at this point. We've been talking about how bad it's been all season, but yeah. I, I mean, it. Listen, we all have to work through this together, and you know what? Talking about it kind of cures the depression and seeing where things can go from here. <laughs> Um, so talk about shooters and we have to, I, I have to bring this up with you. Doc has Tobias here and there's, uh, there's been nothing, nothing sh- but Chris Paul rumors pretty much ever since the season ended. Is, is that something that you personally would entertain or are you just, just trying to roll as is? Cause I, I don't know if you can get Chris Paul without giving up one or you have to give up Horford or Tobias, hopefully Horford. Um, but then you have to, then you have to give up all the other young pieces and graphics to get the rest of it done. With Doc as the head coach, does he need maybe somebody like a Chris Paul, or can he like do similar things with Shake Milton and kind of create what Chris Paul did in Los Angeles? I mean, I think someone like Chris Paul is pretty ideal for the Sixers. I mean, just from a skill set standpoint, obviously the age and the contract and the injury, you know, potential injury concerns are, you know, the sort of question marks. But I think that's someone, you know, regardless of who they hired, I think who's always going to be a good target for them just because, I mean, the, the offence would be on another level with him. Like he was so great in the clutch this year. He can create a bit off the dribble. You know, he's a good shooter. He's obviously an amazing passer. Um, and I think he'd be, you know, perfect in that role working with Simmons and, you know, even Embiid in, a, you know, sort of more pick and roll settings because Doc has always used a lot of pick and roll in his offense. And that's going to be a big shift from Brett Brown. I think even without adding anyone, you know, the Sixers are going to be running more pick and roll, I'm sure. And Shake can do that fairly well. So I think they can still replicate some of the short roll stuff um, that, you know, Doc used with Griffin with Simmons and Shake and it can work well. But I definitely would you know, look at getting Chris Paul if I'm the Sixers. Like, I do think that's someone who should be high up their list just because his offensive skill set suits so perfectly what they need. But yeah, like you said, it's it's how much it takes to get him because Al Horford and Tobias Harris are both massive negatives with their contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, def- I definitely think Horford's easier to move just because he is making less money and he's got the one less year on his deal, which makes a big difference because um, Tobias in his final year is still over 40 million, Woo! which is just so tough to swallow oh um, that's gonna, that's gonna be a hard pill in a couple yeah of years. yeah so it just it just depends what you have to attach you know is it Matisse Seibel the OKC pick this year another future first or two like it's gonna add up because it's gonna be hard to hard to shift but I definitely think Chris Paul's worth looking at I'm just not sure how likely it is Another thing that Doc said in his first press conference, which kind of got me excited, if you're not a great shooting team, create more movement. Yes, 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 Doc. Talk to the people. Um, and it fits with the the pick and rolls. And now we're talking about four or five pick and rolls. And that's where I just start salivating. Because, listen, you're going to put Simmons in a role with Joel Embiid and turn it into Lob City East? Okay, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Those are the plays, I think, that, yeah, it's, it's a fun little wrinkle in the offense. Like, Simmons and Embiid already do their snug pick and rolls pretty well. Um, 
just like so, it's so near the basket that it's so hard to stop Simmons if he gets a good screen and you can't go under because he's, he's only a few steps away from the rim at that point. Right. Um, and obviously, you know, DeAndre Jordan was an amazing lob threat back in his, his heyday. Like he was the best role man in the league for a while. Um, and obviously that's somewhere Embiid needs to grow. He's, you know, doesn't always roll hard to the rim and he's obviously not as explosive, you know, vertically as DJ was, like no one was at that time. But it's still something that Simmons and Embiid can do. And, you know, Doc used it with Blake and, and DJ. And I think he'll, he'll probably look to do it again. I'm sure he will. And if you have more shooters around that, it makes, it makes everything so much easier. And then this is another wrinkle because Joe, uh, DeAndre Jordan is not the shooter that Joel Embiid is. So that's, um, that's even more wrinkles to throw in. For, like, here, Doc, here's, here's DeAndre Jordan, but with a jump shot. Have fun. <laughs> Have fun. Go at it. Go ahead. Create some stuff. Yeah, he can, he can do so much more with Embiid. I mean, yeah, the offensive skill difference is like it's just another planet, isn't it? So there's no comparison really. But I'm yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what Doc does with Embiid. Just you know how much more he uses him in pick and rolls and that kind of thing. Um, how he uses him with Simmons. You know whether he looks to stagger more or you know he really leans in on them together because that clearly seems to be what he's most excited about um and i think if you can just add that extra perimeter creator next to them that would that would make the big difference so who they can add in you know trade or the draft i think you know can hopefully help and make the sixers offense a little more bearable to watch next year memo to the sixers do all your research for second round picks don't just sell away second round picks we will we will fight you if you do that I'm just telling you now, I will be the first one down there in Camden, just just ready to go. Um. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price price line wanted to get into the section about attacking from the elbows which is almost my i wanted the sixers to do this so much um griffin ranked top five in the nba in elbow touches per game every season from 2013 the, the whole time with the, with the clippers and it just made perfect sense for me for the Sixers to run horn set, which is Simmons at the top of the key and then Embiid and Horford or Embiid and Harris at the elbows and then just run pick and roll, pick and pop like all day off of that. Yeah, I think that's something they can use more. Um, I just think it's going to take someone with a more pick and roll sort of favorable approach like Doc to maybe use that a little bit more. Um and like, you know, we said, Simmons is a better passer than Blake and Doc still had so much success with Blake, you know, at the elbows as a passer. And he still wasn't a big threat as a jump shooter then. Not, um, not in the beginning, no. Yeah, not especially, you know, especially not in the early years. So it's not like, you know, his defender had to pressure him super close and like Doc still used some pretty good movement off the ball for his shooters. Obviously, like JJ Redick is the standout Um you know, some of that is him just, you know, impromptu running around the floor, but there's a lot of, you know, good sort of off-ball screening um, and movement that Doc used to get his guys open. And 
that was often running around Griffin at the elbow. And, you know, he used tons of dribble handoffs as well. Um, I reckon we could see more of that with Simmons at the elbow and shake, um, you know, and Harris potentially, yeah. although he's not been too good at handoffs before, but Korkmaz and shake, I think could use, you know, quite a lot of handoffs with Simmons. So there's a lot of options there. Shake, um, just get on the treadmill, my man. I want you running cardio <laughs> for the entire off season. Cause just, I just want you doing a whole lot of running, just run through the open spaces. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, he's, they started doing that more in the bubble is, you know, sucks that Simmons got hurt when he did because it was it was coming along it was coming along quite well and you know he was attacking a lot more of the elbows he sounded like he was enjoying it obviously it was a pretty big role change for him but you know we started to see it come along quite well and he was you know working with shape well with you know him moving into the starting lineup so maybe you know Doc can pick up from there and I think he's you know looking at his time with the Clippers and Blake I think there's a lot of sort of stylistic approaches that could translate to how he uses Simmons now, we always have our opinions on why the offense looked so stagnant last year. And I kind of want to pick your brain about it. Like, do you think it was more the personnel or the coaching or just a high combination of both? I mean, I'm not the well. I think Brett was a good coach. I'm not like his, his biggest fan. I think, it, I think it was time to move on and, you know, find a new approach, find a new voice. But I do think it was more personnel-based. I just don't think anyone <laughs> could have realistically <laughs> made that, <laughs> that team work. I mean, there's just too many flaws. I think, you know, at the time last season, like I'm not going to act like I didn't think there were any positives to the moves they made. Um, a lot of people, you know, thought there were some strengths to it. I thought, you know, with Horford, you know, it made sense from a few angles in terms of, you know, Embiid not having a good backup was a big issue. You know, Hoff could shoot a little bit more. He's a good passer. And then, you know, obviously trying to jam him into the starting lineup just didn't work. The no. offense was horrible with Simmons and Embiid. He wasn't used much as, uh, as a role man or a short role passer, which is one of his sort of best strengths. He never really got to do much of that. And it just, I mean, just worked horribly. And there was just no... There's just not enough ball handling and perimeter creation. They didn't have anyone they could dump the ball to really to create an easy basket from the perimeter. And that's, you know, what they needed so badly before. That's what they needed Jimmy Butler for. And then they didn't keep him. And mm-hmm. and then they, you know, they paid the, the price for it. They just didn't have anyone who could create like that. You know, Shake obviously broke out as the season went on. But there's only so much he can do. He's not super explosive with the ball. He's not an amazing ball handler. The Sixers don't have anyone on the roster except for Embiid, who's great at getting to the line. That's a big issue. They just needed someone like that, you know, like Jimmy Butler, who just had a historic finals, bunch of finals performances. Thank, they just thanks. need someone with that skill set. Thanks, and Jimmy, for twisting it. that knife. Appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> listen, I'm not sour about it much, but I mean, listen... If the Miami Heat wanted, yo, you can cruise to the NBA Finals running all the cowardly zone that you want. I mean, it worked, so it's fine. <laughs> and just getting back to your point about like personnel, I thought it was a, in theory, I thought it was a decent, a half decent idea. If like to close out games, you have Embiid, Simmons, Horford, Tobias Harris, and Thibel, and just play, you know. Um, grindhouse east right but even the memphis grizzlies had mike conley somebody yeah. that could do something on the perimeter both shooting and passing yeah exactly and i think that's the other thing like 
everyone thought the Sixers were going to be a dominant defence. And, you know, they should have been able to lead the league defensively. And they were good. They were still really good. But they weren't dominant. And the effort just went too much. Like, the difference on the road was ridiculous. And if they didn't, And if they didn't have that on their side, which was kind of like the given, even if you thought the offence was going to be a disaster, which would be fair enough, they at least had you know, an elite defence anchor them and that wasn't the case. And without that, without any perimeter creation to fall back on, except for, you know, Ben Simmons and Shake Milton coming along, like there was just nothing, there was just wasn't enough. <laughs> All the positives about Doc Rivers and you did kind of touch on some of his flaws. One kind of hit me right in the face, uh, leaned too heavily on his favorite veterans that I thought was kind of interesting because I kind of, if I rem- remember the Clippers and going back, yeah, he leaned on Chris Paul a heck of a lot. He leaned on Blake Griffin a heck of a lot, which is fine. was no problem. But if they aren't particularly on that night, like that, you got to shift, Doc. Like you had, like, are you worried about his, his in-game adjustments, that kind of thing? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest concern and I think if you're wanting him to be a great playoff adjustment X's and O's guy who can just make quick changes on the fly I think that's where he's probably gonna disappoint um it was often I mean Jamal Crawford back in the day and even Paul Pierce you know for less of the time those were the sort of two of the main guys that he would always play heavily and it often hurt the team um and he didn't always you know have tons of options obviously Crawford had some sixth man of the year wins with Doc, but he mm-hmm. did lean on him a lot. And then obviously this year, you know, playing Montrez Harrell over Zubats. Oh my God. Was, was so costly. And all the evidence pointed to playing Zubats instead. And he stuck with Harrell. And that was a big reason why they ended up losing. Like they, the team was just so much worse with Harrell, you know, at both ends of the floor in that series. And he sort of stuck to his guns and, and stuck with the guy who he said was the better player. Um, and that's just not, it just wasn't working. <laughs> and I think <laughs> a lack of sort of adaptability and sort of just leeway and, and making more adjustments and being a bit more flexible is, is one of his issues. And I think that's probably why some Clipper fans who were pleased to see him go were pleased he left. Um, so I think that's probably... The con- you know, the concern when you're looking at him with the Sixers, but I'm not sure who maybe he would favour that he shouldn't, you know. Maybe we'll see him play Horford a bit too much or, you know, try and stick him with the starting lineup and, you know, make the best of what they have and, you know, ride with that a bit too much. I don't know yet, but if I, yeah, I think to- lack of adjustments is the concern. If I had to guess, my money would be on Harris because of past history. Yeah, that could be one. I mean, obviously... The difference is like Harris is, I mean, I think most situations Harris is going to be, you know, a safe player. Like he's not a big enough defensive liability to where I think he'd be consistently getting you burned mm-hmm. throughout a whole playoff series. And offensively, even though, you know, we all know about his issues as a creator and how, you know, limited he is in that sense, he can at least shoot and he's not like some 38-year-old, like yeah. <laughs> an old Jamal Crawford whose doc's just going to trot out and he can't handle 35 minutes or something a game. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of what tendencies he has and what he sticks to as the season goes on. And obviously, depending on what changes they make, you know, in the off-season, that might influence, you know, 
who Doc sort of starts favouring and and that. But yeah, we'll have to see how that all plays out. There'll be a lot to to think about when projecting, you know, how he wants to manage his rotation and what he might do in the playoffs. There's a small sliver of a concentric circle that includes Sixers fans and Jamal Crawford fans. After this podcast, they're all coming for you, Tom. I'm just telling you that now. <laughs> I'm just warning you now. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. He's I do like Doc for his creative for his creative mind, especially in the pick and roll. Um is he enough? Do you think the Sixers should hire one or more offensive minds like Alvin Gentry's name was being floated around, but is that something that you could see happening even still, even if it's not Alvin Gentry, somebody that thinks, you know, it's 2020, we should incorporate maybe some more jump shooting. If we have the perimeter shooting, like not be so pick and roll heavy intensive doc. Yeah, I think, I think that's definitely something that would make the doc higher better. Um, I think just a bit of, extra sort of offensive creativity um you know maybe another mind who's you know can embrace some different styles and some different stuff um is definitely worth it i think alvin gentry like you mentioned would be a really good hire apparently that was a serious possibility um was reported but I, i you know i don't know how that's developing or if that's still likely but i definitely think someone like that would be good just to have yeah, just something a little more alongside Doc. Like he, I think he's a good coach, but he's not like an X's no genius. So I think if you have someone to add on, you know, some stuff to the offense, help with their movement and just, you know, provide some extra experimentation, I think that's definitely something they should look to do. But yeah, we'll see who they can find. I think that's why I was higher on D'Antoni than I was on Doc Rivers because I felt like D'Antoni was way more creative yeah yeah I think that's that's why I'd have had D'Antoni above Doc too um yeah just because you know how much offensive success he's had over the years and how he's adapted to different styles you know bringing in more pick and roll cutting down using more isos of Chris Paul and James Harden obviously the way he's pushed pace and used three pointers but he's changed over the years and you know, adapted to his stars and we know how creative and successful he's been there, you know, obviously more so than Doc. So I think if you can add someone like Alvin Gentry to go with Doc, I think that's, that would be really good to sort of help the hire. See, now, now I'm hyped now. Now I'm excited and it sucks because we don't know when the hell the next season is supposed to start yet. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm being completely optimistic even being totally optimistic, I would say mid-February. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I think the last thing I'd seen from Adam Silver was that, you know, January at the earliest. And I think January I, is way yeah, wishful thinking. I'd, I'd probably lean more February as well. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to think. I mean, they want to get back in arenas, don't they, and bring fans back? Yeah, yeah. I can't they, see they, how likely that is. Uh, I don't see how that's happening but if they don't want to do another bubble if that was just to just the case to get this season finished then I, I don't know how it can start as early as January I don't know how other cities or states but I'm 
the Pittsburgh Steelers and likely Philadelphia Eagles are going to have fans in the stands starting th- that started this past weekend. Right. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And if it still goes well and trends upwards, I, I guess you could see more because I think there was a limit of like 7,500 people or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens as far as like, what happens after this election and the plans that are made to further tackle COVID-19. It's just, it's weird. It's weird ass year. It's just been abysmal and just awful. Just I'm tired of being around the same four walls all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been a weird year and I, nothing will surprise me at this point with the way 2020 has gone. So nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, so let me let me just close real quick. Uh, how how are things over there across the pond as far as like coronavirus and everything else going on? I mean, we had been getting on, you know, quite well. Things have been going better. The cases have recently started to increase quite a bit over the last month or so. That's um, not good. So we're starting, yeah. So we're starting to see a lot more localized, um, not full lockdowns, but changes in restrictions. So we've basically just brought in a new tiered system. Um, so basically depending on the amount of cases in given areas around the country, there are different areas based on, you know, how much stuff is open, who you're allowed to visit, how many people can get together and all that kind of thing. Um, so obviously really hoping that those changes start bringing the cases back down again, cause they've been trending up quite quick. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just so hard to predict everything is going to go. Is there is there a high concentration of like numb scullery? Because there are. Listen, they were having. They were. I swear to. I swear to God, they were doing like COVID parties in New Jersey back in like July. I'm like, what are you people doing? You are you are effing it up for the rest of us, okay? Oh man. Oh, I it I just gets me so angry. There's so many stupid people that just don't treat it seriously. Still, F-ing and even just the amount of people. Effing oh. New Jersey. <laughs> every time it's effing new jersey even just like it's not even the people that are having parties or meetups that they shouldn't be it's just like if i go to get food shopping the amount of people that can't put a mask on and it's just hanging off their chin or like they don't put it over their nose put an effing mask like, on this has all been going the way <laughs> it's been almost it. the whole year like how have you not got the mask on yet it's, oh it's such basic stuff but i mean it just makes it worse for everyone else but and- and of course, I'm heartbroken because the one time, the one time, the, oh my goodness, the one time in the last, like, as long as I've been a fan, the one time Liverpool takes EPL, I can't fly over and celebrate with everybody because <laughs> I don't want to get on an airplane right now. Oh, man. Jesus. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, my God. I I don't know. I don't know who you support. So if like you, if you end up ending the Zoom call because I'm a Liverpool fan, I hope I don't hold anything like that against you. It's fine. <laughs> oh no, I'm, I used to be a big football fan. Less so now. Um, <laughs> I don't really watch much actually. So you you watch way more than I do. But no. yeah, it's, it's very it's very centered on one team though. So it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tom West. Associate Editor Liberty Ballers, thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, looking forward to Doc and Ben and Joel and seeing what he can do with all of this. Like this, that was a fantastic piece, and it makes me think the Sixers are going to be fun next year. Uh, you know, whenever the season starts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but let everybody know where people can find you on you know social media or podcast, Liberty Ballers, anything like that. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously you can, you know, read me louisballers.com and then on Twitter uh, at TomWestNBA. That's where I post all my work and talk sixes and a bit of general NBA and stuff. But uh, yeah, I think that's it. Appreciate having, appreciate you for coming on. And uh, I know it's late over there, so uh, get get some rest and stay safe over there. Yeah, you too, man. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to getting you back here at the Wells Fargo Center parking lot. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I not too long. <laughs> yeah, we want you here at the we want you here at the damn championship parade. Okay. If it happens, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Todd. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. All right.